Hey friends, welcome to It Takes a Village, a podcast of Healing Hands International. We're a nonprofit organization based out of Nashville, Tennessee. My name is Mark Gent, and I'm joined by my co-host, Taryn Foster. Hello, Taryn, my first-time fellow podcaster. Hello, Mark. I'm so excited to be doing this finally. This is fun. We talked about it for like ever. Months. Forever. 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 The idea for the podcast really came to us in the middle of the pandemic last year, um, kind of towards the end of the year. We kind of had the thought, how could we creatively reach... Um, another audience to tell the story of who we are and what we do and to get the name of Healing Hands out there uh, really while just providing other people a platform to let their voice be heard. Yeah, Uh, this is kind of, well, we were thinking about where we wanted it to go and we kind of came up with, we well, we first wanted to create a community of people that have the same passions and um, see the need and try to see what they can do. So, We also want to show the need that so many people have in many parts of the world. So this is just kind of a platform where we can say, hey, it's actually not that hard to make a a difference. That's true. You make a difference, Taryn. Thank you. So one of you may be asking, what is this podcast going to be about? Who are we going to spotlight? And there's really four different areas that we want to feature and people who we want to invite to be guests. One is just to tell you about our ministry here at Healing Hands and who we are and what we do and how we strive to aid and equip and empower the people in need of Jesus that we serve and that we come alongside and partner with around the world. Another area that we want to have them on, we want to invite our host partners on. We have so many that are serving on the ground in Haiti, in Kenya, in Honduras, in India, and other places that we want their story to be heard. We want them to Uh, just have this platform where we can interview them and we can just really have a conversation to talk about their life and how God's working through their ministry. And finally, we want to drill down to the local church level and invite ministers and church leaders and others just to share about their journey of faith and what's made them into who they are today. Yeah, I feel like that's really cool about living in Nashville and just Nashville as a city. There's so many people that are willing to help in so many different areas. I think that that's like really special and unique. And that's kind of what a part of why I was dra- so drawn to the city. Why you came here. Yeah. really. Yeah. Cool. So really cool. Taryn, tell us about our name. Tell us what's okay. behind the name, how we landed on it and what it means. So we had like a million different names that we tried to come up with, but we landed on It Takes a Village. Um, and that's kind of, well, the obvious thing that like stuck out to me was that most places that we equip operate as villages and basically that means everyone's together and nobody really works alone no one does anything really independently Um, and that's just like such a different mindset that Americans don't really have and I think that's kind of more of a mindset that we should have Um, and so we want to emphasize the importance of doing things together and um, we also wanted to pinpoint the large amount of people that are needed to create this change. And it's not just, it won't change won't happen with just one person. It's all of Mm -hmm. us have to kind of like link together to really make a huge impact. Yeah, that's right. So Mark, what is Healing Hands International? Kind of a basic question, but. 
That is an important question to know since this is a podcast of Healing Hands International. So (laughs) you're going to often hear us refer to it just as HHI. But Healing Hands was founded 30 years ago, back in 1991. It was the crazy thing, Taryn, is it was birthed out of a marketing class at Lipscomb University right here in Nashville. Crazy. And it started as a class project. Can you believe that? I can't. An international disaster struck in Eastern Europe, and there was a professor who had an idea, and he had students who had a passion. And it really was just as simple as that. From there, they collected supplies and materials in response and what they thought would just be a few boxes ended up being truckloads of supplies and now three decades later here we are continuing to serve people in communities and villages around the world by providing clean water teaching agriculture helping women create small businesses giving kids and their families everyday essentials through our magi boxes And we still respond like we did back then in a timely manner when a disaster strikes, whether that be a hurricane, an earthquake, floods, famines, and of course now pandemics. All right, now we are so excited to welcome our very first guest, President of Healing Hands International, Art Woods. All right, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks Thanks for joining us on It Takes a Village. We're so grateful you've taken time out of your schedule to be here. You are guest one on episode one. How does that feel? So it only gets better from here. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. No. Well, we had to start at the top of our organization, so that was you. Yep. And we're, we're just excited. We're excited about what this is going to be about and um, the vision for we have, what we have for the podcast and letting others know about Healing Hands and about our ministry, reaching out to international partners and local church leaders and really diving into the Nashville nonprofit scene. So um, we wanted to start with you uh, so people can understand and have an overview of like who we are and what we do. So... Um, we're going to get into after a while, like who is Art Woods? We want people to understand uh, who you are and where you come from. But just tell us a little bit about Healing Hands, uh, the mission, the vision, the purpose. Um, let people know who we are, what we do, the people that we serve. We have a lot of um, branches of our organization. So, yeah, just tell our listeners a little bit about HHI. Sure, sure. Um, well, HHI is really a unique ministry, I think, because it really started as one organization and has has morphed into many other things because of the demand and the need to, to try to be um, and serve those who are in need. So when you really look back at who we were, we started as a, a, a medical assistance um, ministry uh, addressing the needs of what happened uh, when the fall of the Berlin Wall. And there was a group of students at at Lipscomb University that Dr. Randy Steger had in his class. And the whole idea was to come up with a plan for a for-profit or nonprofit work. They start, they put out a call for medical supplies and what they thought might be a few boxes to ship turned into a couple of tractor trailer loads. Huge, huge. And, and they're like, we, you know, Lipscomb was like, we, you got to take this somewhere else and do something with it. And the whole purpose of that really was Randy's vision always was to, to provide an opportunity for, the local church here in the U.S. to be really the hands and feet of Jesus in other parts of the world to be to do mission work without actually physically having to do mission work, and so that's kind of what birthed it. His idea and always wanting to do that. This project at Lipscomb, he had no idea that the ministry was going to be what it is today. Now, thirty years later, 
and it has changed over the decades. But I think what's really at the core of who we are is our vision really is a world full of hope um, where people's lives are surrendered to Jesus. That is, that's the absolute vision that we have that we are always working toward every day. And so uh, uh, to little, get a little more granular, our mission is really to, and we've come just recently in the last few years to these words of aiding, equipping, and empowering people. And to me, I love the trajectory of that because we're always going to be about aiding in an immediate situation, but we want to equip um, the people that we serve in other places so they can help themselves. And then for that to be them to be empowered to sustain that long-term. And what that enables Healing Hands to do is to go into many, many places around the world and not have to be in just a few places and help more people. And so, um, that's kind of the, the mission and vision and, and of who we are. But we're really meant to be providing tools for local ministers around the globe to be able to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their environment. Um, and so, um, and we always want it to be about them, not about yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we always want to give them the tools they need to be the most effective so that, that they, can be, they can be Jesus to the people around them. Yeah, so we have so many host partners that are spread throughout the world that are on the ground. Talk for a minute about where some of them are located, um, some of the ministry that they do, but also like maybe somebody specific that you've met uh, through our ministries and we support. Sure. We, we have an office staff of about 20 right here in Nashville, right. full-time, part-time people. But right. when you think about who all works for Healing Hands, it's so much more than that. Yeah. Well, the real key, I think, to to the history that we've had and the growth that we've seen over those 30 years is having indigenous people on the ground to execute the work that we're doing. And so when we give them equipping to do, we've, we've gone into places in all total, we've, we've helped in about 80 countries around the world in some kind of way, but we have real intense operations and people on the ground in Kenya, Tanzania, uh, Zimbabwe, Malawi. Uh, we've done a lot of work in central Africa and Uganda. Um, and then we actually have a a water ministry that we have done in Haiti since the earthquake in 2010. Um, we've done work in Haiti as well. And so, and we've done work in Honduras. I mean, I could go and list all 80 places, but the, the point is that we've just tried to go wherever there's an immediate need or an opportunity to use the good people and finding good, dependable people on the ground has really been the key for us for it to be sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going back to what you mentioned a minute ago about the foundation of the organization in 1991 and Dr. Steger's class, and this is our 30th anniversary this year right. that we're going to be celebrating throughout the year. You know, the thing I love about the history of Healing Hands is it started off really simple. You had a professor that had an idea, and you had students who had a passion. Right. And it took off from there. Right. And no one at that time could have ever envisioned um, – you know, he, he was just looking to give students an A or a B on a class project. <laughs> he, he wasn't looking to, um, yeah. you know, start this huge nonprofit that would turn into what it is today. So that's been part of that story and that heritage that we continue to live out and that, uh, that you're a part of, that you're leading. And, um, yeah, it's just a really neat history. And it's a really great way to see how God was working back then to lay the foundation for what we get to benefit from now. Well, I think one of the things that does make us unique, and I think it's one of the things that makes it difficult for people to understand exactly what we do, because it has changed over time, and more and more things have been added to what we do, because we have tried to respond and be 
um, nimble enough to be able to address opportunities and seek things. And I, that's one of the things I love about this organization is it has been flexible enough to say, this is not what we do and we only do this. Now, you can get mission creep, as they call it, where you're going into all kinds of areas. But the things that we are doing now today have been intentional decisions that were made because of an opportunity or a relationship or something that changed that we saw an opportunity just to make to take the ministry in different places. Um, because we're a firm believer. This is God's ministry, and, and it's going to grow and flourish and do the things that he wants it to do as long as we're always staying focused on the fact it's not about us, but it's about him and mm. his work. That's good. You kind of took the words out of my mouth about the ministries because we have so many different things that we do. Um, so we've seen needs in separate areas and we try to respond, but people kind of get confused about that. <laughs> At least for me, I know, like I did uh, Magi in high school with my with my school and I thought that that was all Healing Hands did. Right. I didn't know about all the other ones. So right. could you tell us a little bit about each of the other ministries? Sure. Sure. Uh, one, one of the things that I've said before is that we're one of the best kept secrets in this area um, and around the country and the church. And I hate that in a lot of ways because sometimes your experience has been very limited and that's all you really know about it. So Magi is an important part. Those are the little gift boxes that get given to children in foreign places through a local church and it just opens the door. I like to call it one of the front porches to our ministry because it introduces you to who, the other things that we do. Uh, we, we've, we have developed now since 2008, I believe, is a, a full-time uh, water ministry where we're drilling fresh water wells or repairing wells in places where water is critically needed. And as we know, that really is the beginning of making transformation in a community is when most people are spending their time walking to get water, other development and growth can't happen. Mm -hmm. And so water is a huge piece of that, drilling fresh water wells, um, repairing wells. Uh, and then and along with that, we've been teaching sustainable agriculture, very simple composting, drip irrigation type agriculture, and even projects beyond that that would be, um, you know, produce and poultry and doing other larger projects uh, that are connected to agriculture. Uh, and then we have a, um, a women's ministry called Women of Hope that I'm really excited about right now because it is seeing tremendous growth and opportunities um, for us to be able to teach Christian business principles, primarily to the women in those villages, because they are the ones that are really doing the lion's share of the really heavy lifting with their families. The husbands are working, but they're left at home to be able to take care of the children. And if they can do something to provide an opportunity for their children to get an education, they have to have resources to do that. And so we're teaching them practical business skills, use what you have where you are, and then they're able to grow that into a business to provide income. And that's been an incredibly encouraging thing to see happen for me personally when I've been out uh, to see places and the places that we work. Mm -hmm. um, and then we do other things like disaster relief. That started kind of what we do, and we still do that. I think a lot of people have known us for disasters. We're working right now in India in a really intense way because of the COVID um, uh, pandemic and the need for some help in that country. Um, where things have gotten pretty desperate. So, um, but those are the pieces that we're doing now. And I, somebody asked me the other day, what's next? And I said, I don't know what God has in store. We're just waiting to see what, what he yeah. presents to us next to see if it fits. Yeah. That's <laughs> one thing I've learned after being at Healing Hands for almost two years, where there's like something that just kind of pops up. We, we respond, which is really cool because right. we have our main things that we do. 
pretty consistently, but then if something just kind of randomly comes out of the blue, it's like so many people respond, and that's really cool to see. The India relief kind of is a good segue to my next question, which is how did the COVID-19 pandemic impact the ministry? It was a huge curveball in everything that we've done, and we kind of had to take a few setbacks. So how do you think that really affected us? Sure, that was... um uh, looking back, uh, 2020 was probably one of the hardest years on me as a leader, just because it really had me have to really stop and pause. And and we always say that the ministry is God and we're dependent on Him. But I'll just be real candid. I didn't know what was coming when this thing hit last March, and it really became real that um, things were being to happen. I didn't know what giving would be. I didn't know what our work in places were gonna, what the impact was gonna be. And it was every day was changing all the time. And looking back on that, it was a very hard year in a lot of ways, but I, I learned personally as a leader, and I think we, as a minister, we've learned so much about being able to just be trusting of God in that and then leaning into the things that we do and trying to continue to do them well. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I really think was a good thing that came out of that is it really made us kind of refocus back on some of our core principles and things that are guiding us as a ministry um, but one of the heartbreaks was not being able to go to the places where we're working. Um, for me personally, that's a huge um, opportunity to be able to see upfront and personal how the things that, that this ministry is doing is making an impact on the local lives of people. And when you can't experience, there's no experience like that. I tell people all the time, you know, when we go on these trips, it's like being on the front row of the greatest show on earth. And that's God's working. And when you can't do that, and you can't communicate what that experience is like. It's just really, really difficult. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough when you can't yeah. be there to see them in person. And yeah, yeah. It's been encouraging yeah. to to hear reports from them on their end um, and how they've continued to thrive right. and how they've continued right. to love and encourage their people on the Do ground. you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting when we look back on that year, too, is it really did, we've grown in so many ways, but it really brought us back to there were just basic needs of food that needed to be met. So we had to really pivot was the word that I used more than anything last year to pivot on what we're doing to say, okay, we can still do our work. It just needs to look differently for a period of time. So we did a lot of food relief and a lot of things that we have done, but we wouldn't traditionally do in those things because they were able to get food in, in the past and now they weren't. So we, we did a lot of that last year um, that I think was a really good for us to kind of be reminded that really is the core. People, People do not care what we have to say spiritually and if their stomachs are roaring louder mm-hmm. than what we're saying. And so it, we've got to meet those basic needs. And this was, to me, drove us back to meeting basic needs in a lot of ways. It did. And even when the pandemic hit, uh, Healing Hands stepped up in a big way right here locally in Nashville that uh, you probably had never even thought about, the supplies mm-hmm. that were out in the warehouse. Tell us about that moment when you realize what the need is when a pandemic hits. Yeah, I remember I remember talking to Joseph Smith in our office, and, and he and Jan and I were talking about, okay, what, what, what have we got? I mean, because things were evolving so quickly, even here in Nashville. And while all of our work is traditionally overseas, we did have access to a lot of supplies. We had, you know, we had, gloves we had isolation guns we had over nine thousand n95 masks in our warehouse that had been given nine thousand from the wow. local medical community to healing hands of just overages and excess inventory 
And um, and when we realized what we had, we quickly uh, there were there was a Saturday I remember we packed all day long. We packed gloves, repacked masks, and then reached out to fourteen local everything from assisted living centers to hospitals, and said we have these supplies. We want to gift them to you back to you in some cases to be able to help solve that problem. And and it was a tr- wonderful opportunity for us to say and give back to some of the community that had given to Healing Hands over the years. And so we sent out a half a million gloves, 9,000, you know, I think it was 9,000 N95 masks um, and isolation gowns and other supplies. And um, and it was just, and I got to take several of those personally um, to different places. And just to see the gratitude on those people's face was just pretty incredible. So, yeah. So you've been here, um, this is your fifth year that you've been here at Healing Hands. And uh, in a moment, we're going to have a uh, where we look back on your five years since you came on as president. But just as you look ahead right now, what are some of your hopes? What are some of your dreams? What are some of the things when you look towards the future that you're excited about for Healing Hands as an organization? And um, what is it that, you know, uh, when you get up in the morning and you get your day going that uh, really excites you and um, <laughs> as you look ahead? Well, I... I'm, I am very excited about the work at Healing Hands, and I, I, I didn't know what I was in, what was exactly in store for me when I started in this position, but it has been, it has far exceeded my expectations or any thought of what it might be. It's morphed into more than, a, it's, it's part of a life-changing part of my life that I think God was needing to work on me personally in, and that is just to be grateful for what I have and to be able to help share with others around me. And Healing Hands has really provided that personal experience from meeting the people and staying in homes uh, of some of our partners in Zimbabwe. I think about John Dubay and how we work with him and, and to know the circumstances in which they live and to go there and to sleep on the floor and to spend time with them in villages and to eat in their huts and and do all those experiences together with them really makes me excited about the opportunities because they are so uh, in need of just someone to give them encouragement and show them a little bit of, um, give them a little bit of direction on how we can help. And so that very much excites me every day. I think we have a tremendous opportunity ahead of us. Um, I'm really grateful for the 30 years of history that have laid the foundation, I think, of trust. Uh, we've, we've been very dedicated, many before me, um, of being good stewards of what we've been given and to be trustworthy. And so when anything happens, um, when we have a major disaster in the world, if it's on the news more than two or three days, our phone starts ringing. And, and I can always tell if, how much news exposure because we start getting calls, but people automatically think we don't have to push the word out much. They will call us because we have proven to them that we will do what we say and, um, and that's a tremendous gift as a nonprofit working as a ministry for people just to automatically call you and say, what are you guys doing in such and such a place for such and such an event? So I think there's tremendous more opportunity. I'm excited about us and areas where we've had some tremendous growth with people in the, uh, up in the Northeast and the Ohio Valley area. We've got some tremendous opportunities in Alabama and Texas and other places around the country. And there are so many places that don't know about Healing Hands and the opportunity to get people engaged that I'm just excited about how can we pour more fuel on that fire to get the word out to more people so that they can be a part of what what's happening yeah. here. Cause I think it will be a blessing to their life. Um, that's ultimately what it's about. It's about 
being a blessing to them so that they are being a blessing to others. Yeah, we have a very faithful donor base. Yes, we do. And we have a very, uh, they're very um, in tune with who we are and what we do. But they're also always, they're so generous and willing to give. But it's been, I think one thing I've heard you and Scott Saunders, our director of development, talk about this year is how um, that donor base has expanded Mm -hmm. and continues, God continues to bless it by expanding into other areas and people giving where we never expected it. And a perfect example of that is just a couple of weeks ago when the, we had the fundraiser for the India, uh, the COVID crisis, it's happening there right now right? Um, in a big right. way. And right. within just a few days, we raised quite a bit of money to right. go towards that. Tell us a little bit about that spur of the moment opportunity that we had. Well, that's one of the things that I just continue that encourages me to step out in faith so many ways of what we do. Um, I remember we were sitting in a meeting in our boardroom recently and uh, about about covid and we were talking to one of our partners in country on the phone in india to give us a little update of what the need was and the situation was and he needed a he needed a thirty thousand dollar gift to be able to create an oxygen generating plant in his area to be able to provide oxygen that was desperately needed and we hadn't raised any money yet for this event we hadn't pushed anything really out that we've been gotten a few calls and I can remember stepping out and just saying, we're going to do that. And, and somebody said, we haven't raised any money for that. And I said, this is something we, we, we need to do. And I think God will bless that decision because it's the right thing to do. And lo and behold, that afternoon we got a call from somebody that said, I'm seeing a gift. I want you to do whatever you can do in India. And it was almost to the dollar amount of what we needed. It, it just I, We have time and time after, again, we have had experiences where we stepped out and said, this is who Healing Hands is. We've been blessed with resources. We don't need to be stingy with them and uh, are prepared for a, a day that's coming down the line. So let's do something now. And when we do that, God continues to show us that he's going to be faithful and provide. That's awesome. Um, so switching gears a little bit, tell us a little bit about Art Woods, about you, about where you're from. We might come from the same place, the best place in the whole country, <laughs> Arkansas. Taryn is a fellow Arkansan. Yes. Whoopie suey. Am I right? But yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit about where you're from, your family, sure. faith, education, experience. Sure. All that, um, all that I, I grew up in a rural, a very rural, small community in, in Northeast Arkansas. Um, first in my family to ever go to college. Um, but we grew. I grew up in a very close knit, um, extended family um, that was very much an entrepreneurial family. I think between my grand great grandfather, who I knew, and my great grandmother, my my boys actually knew their great great grandmother, um, wow. and have vivid memories of her, That's which rare. is so rare. Uh, and, but it was such a tremendous blessing. But I think between all of them, I think our family had ten or twelve small businesses that they had run or started. And we're part of so entrepreneurship and leadership and trying to step in to try to make things better has just always been a part of that DNA. But our the core of what we did when I was raised, and I think it really shaped me as a person, was growing up on a rural farm. Um, we had a working row crop, cattle, and hog farm. And um, at the time, I hated those experiences, <laughs> but looking back on those, they really taught me a lot about work and the value of work and how to work. And um, I just, I never knew anything else. Everybody in my family, an extended family, were hardworking. And 
that's just what I saw. And so I, we had an incredibly great church family. Was Church was a very important part of that. Um, my dad was an elder in the church. Um, our church community was like another part of our extended family. Um, every Sunday night, we were at the Smith's home singing and after church and, and having fellowship. It's just, that was just part of who I grew up as we were. My great, my grandmother, funny enough, was um, the only woman back in, I guess, probably in the thirties that was, um, there were no men in the church and they met in the balcony of the little movie theater in our town. And my grandmother led singing and served communion because there were no men there to do it. And that's what I saw modeled for me growing up is, you know, uh, we just do it. So it was a great experience. I loved it uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and so, um, but I grew up there and then I went to Harding. Um, uh, that's a whole nother story. I actually left, quit and came back. Um, but I ended up getting a marketing and accounting degrees and, and then left there, went into corporate work um, with a large retail company because I'd grown up around a retail business. So I had a lot of practical just experience. And then um, spent about seven years in that. And just after a lot of prayer, uh, I got a call from Harding, actually, that said, would you come back to school here? And I thought I was going on a visit to be solicited for a, a gift to the school. We'd been giving a little bit. And so I went to the lunch. And when I left, they had offered me a job to come back and actually help raise money for the school. I'd never raised money for anything. I was like, this is you know, I don't know, this is crazy, but there was just call on my heart that I needed to make a change. And um, so we, we spent about two weeks in prayer about that, went away to a, a nearby lake that we loved and grew up on. And when we came back from that, my wife and I, Kim and I said, let's do this. And so um, our second of our three boys was, was about to be born. And so we made the move to Searcy and spent eight years in Searcy but really what I think formed that whole decision about moving to Searcy was our experience with a church community in Little Rock. Um, and so it's just interesting to look back and think about all the people that have impacted you along the way. And so um, anyway, we were there and then uh, in, 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 in Searcy for about eight years and then came to Nashville on a real step of faith after a lot of prayer again in 97. Um, That's the year I was born, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> now let's, I feel very old. Let's play the game. How old was Taryn when? <laughs> I'm a baby. I know. I know. Yeah, so you came to Nashville in 97. You've been here ever since. You've continued to be in nonprofit and education. Yep. Pretty much my whole career. And if you'd asked me when I was starting out, would I ever spend 30 plus years in nonprofit work and education and ministry related things? I said, there's no way. And I think God just had a different plan. And it took me a little while to realize that that's kind of what I think his plan for me was. And so um, it's been a tremendous, tremendous, I've met a lot of incredible people. I've really gotten to see and be a part of different ministries at different times that are really important. And I feel like I've really found the place that has really had the heaviest call on my heart at Healing Hands. And that's such an incredible opportunity to have that experience that I think um, many people may not. So Yeah, so you've had a few decades of experience, like you've said, in nonprofit and education, but when you were presented with the opportunity for this job, what, what appealed to you about it at that moment uh, back five years ago? Well, I think it was one of those. I had had a real sense for a while that, you know, what what is the last chapter of my life professionally going to look like? And I'd raised a lot of money for good things and been a part of, 
really not raise the money. As, as my, an old mentor used to say, you're just raising friendships. You're not raising funds. And because out of relationships is where financial support comes when you tell the story. And one of the things I always loved about what I had done was is this is about presenting opportunities for people. I, I get the call all the time, you know, are you, are you begging for money? You know, I see you're begging for money today. I was like, no, I don't beg for money. I present you an opportunity to invest mm-hmm. in something that's bigger than yourself. And, and that decision is yours. And I, had a, and I was taught that by an incredible mentor when I was in Cersei Floyd Daniel, who really was all about the relationships and being passionate about what you're doing. And um, there's not a lot of things I think I'd be good at, at speaking about or being able to lead or, read, or raise money for, but passion is a critical ingredient to me to be able to do that. I've forgotten what you asked me before. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, no, what a what a what a, what a pill oh, you about this job? Yeah. And the- well, when I, it's a funny story. The board chairman for Healing Hands actually lives Caddy Corner across the street from me, and I had no idea he was on Healing Hands board even at the time. So when Bill came across the street and said, "You know, would you be interested in talking to us about serving as a president of Healing Hands?" and I I knew a little bit about Healing Hands at the thirty thousand foot view, but really didn't know a lot about what. Healing Hands was about. And so I began to do some reading and praying about that and then had multiple conversations with him and Burton Hours and and others and just began to really think, man, this could be what God has been preparing me for all along. And because I had been around leadership in my family and entrepreneurial spirit, but I never really set out to be, I want to be the leader of a nonprofit. Uh, I just think that my experiences in the past, but there was this part of me that thought I never was really ready for it. I'd had opportunities in the past to others, and I just didn't feel that God was at the right place where I could do that. And so um, after talking with them and seeing the vision of what Healing Hands is about and then being able to experience the 25th anniversary dinner, actually, uh, and came as a guest, nobody knew I was even checking it out except a couple of board members. And when I left there, I was like, this is something I could get passionate about. And, and I just feel like that all of that, God's, he's still equipping me. I, I don't have it all figured out as a leader, but he's continuing to refine me and letting me lean in, I think, to what some of my natural gifts are and what my experiences can bring. And then the beauty is of that is that lots of people around me, like you guys and others, help fill in all the gaps and holes that I don't provide. And that's what I think makes it really cool. Uh, I don't ex- I'm not expected to have all the answers, but, but I am charged by the board to say, okay, set the direction and make sure we stay on course. And um, so it's, it's, it's the, I'm in the sweet spot. I tell people, I wish I'd done this 15, 20 years ago, but I don't think I was ready. Yeah. <laughs> what I love about that is that, yeah. so two of your career moves were pretty interesting in that you weren't pursuing either one of them. So one day you go to lunch and you're expecting them to ask you for money mm-hmm. and they turn around and they offer you money to come work for them. <laughs> and then well, it, out- w- it was not what I was making. I'll assure you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then I love how you're out mowing your yard one day and your neighbor comes across and he's like, Hey, do you want to lead, lead our nonprofit? And just how you have been willing to listen to God's call. And then that moment of discernment decided that that's where he's putting you at that place and in that stage. And um, that's awesome. That doesn't happen every day. Well, and I think a, a large part of this, and I referred to this earlier, I think a lot of those decisions were made in in the context of a community. Uh, they were done within my church community accountability kind of group that we were part of as a church. So a lot of that's been processed through all the people that have spoken into my life about how we discern that. And um, I don't always listen to where what I hear from the Lord, but there are times when I just feel like that it's very, very clear 
that he's trying to communicate to me that I need to make a change or do something different or make a decision. And, um, and I've just learned more and more to lean into that and be comfortable with that. Yeah. And, and, and it takes away the fear, I think, of making decisions or making changes yeah. that you wouldn't otherwise. That's great. Mm-hmm. Are there some practices or disciplines that you, help you keep you kind of centered, that drown out the noise, relieve any stressors <laughs> that you find? Do you meditate? Like, do you have anything that you do that kind of calms you down with all these things that well, you have to Well, this is going to sound a little weird because, okay. people, you know, my, my wife and others say all the time, you need to slow down. Like, you're always busy. And I am. I'm, a, I'm always busy. You know, but for me, my golf or my time alone is really mm-hmm. to work. And so if I'm not at the office, then I'm working on a project at home or I'm helping. I love to do remodeling and work with my sons on projects. So I'm always really, really busy. But that brings me a lot of, um, it just brings me a lot of satisfaction. That's just how I think God wired me is to not just go lay on the couch and rest, but to continue to work in a different way. But it helps clear my head. It helps me get my mind off things that we're maybe having to work with at work, but it gives me that balance, I think, sometimes that we all need, I think, for sure. Yeah, we come to the office often on Monday, and it's like, hey, what did you do this weekend? And Art's like, I tore out a bathroom and rebuilt it. <laughs> or, I was like, I laid by the pool. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to Texas, and I helped my son, you know, remodel his entire master bedroom. <laughs> like, hey, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Whether personally or professionally, is there has there been a risk that you've taken that you were kind of scared to take at the time, but you're very happy that you took now? Yeah, I think uh, I th- it's funny when I, th- I thought about that question is, you know, in 97, we came here was a huge decision for us. Um, never really been, I've been through Nashville maybe twice in my life. Mm-hmm. And we just felt a strong call. Uh, as hard as it was at the moment to make that decision. But moving here has been one of the best decisions we've made as a married couple and as a family. Um, and it was a hard year or two, to be honest with you. We'd left a lot of community and, a lot, and all of our family. And um, But coming here has been an incredible blessing to our marriage. It's been an incredible blessing to our family. Um, I think for, for me personally and professionally, it's been it's just been a tremendous place. I've met some incredible people here. Um, and, um, Nashville is home for us now. It is home for our, our boys have all grown up here and I think it will always have a special place. So that was a really big step out for us. I I can remember the night that I was standing in our garage with everything we owned packed literally to the ceiling in a little condo we were renting, um, and until our house got sold and, Kim was not happy when we first moved. It was just traumatic on everybody, our kids, uh, you know, they cried for weeks wanting to go home. And I remember standing in the garage just crying out to God, you know, what is this about? You know, we felt led here, and then you've left me. And then I look back on that and think, you didn't leave me. You leave me. You were leading me into something better that we needed to do. And I think back on that a lot about how he uses opportunities to bless us. And and being a part of a communities that can help you make decisions like that to me is, I don't know how we do life without a village, without a community, how we do things in life that are hard and people that we celebrate with. We all need that. I think as humans, yeah. that's great. Well, as we pull the train in the station here, um, <laughs> just thinking about closing out, talk about, um, so I mean, being a leader and being a president of an organization in 2021 is not easy. Talk about, um, the challenges of being a leader, and then talk about for you some of the rewards. I think the 
the challenges for me are is how can we be relevant to the next generation of people that will continue this work? Um, I don't think of myself as an old person, but I have grandchildren. <laughs> and so, uh, but, it, but, you know, generations change and people, um, people's interests change and trying to be relevant and be current, but not, but to always stay rooted in who you are and your core uh, to me is one of the real challenges of trying to be nimble enough to be relevant and to be exciting to the next generation, um, to be able to make this you know, make make the God story something that they can be a part of in a very tangible way, and so, um, and but I that excites me. I, it, it does prevent challenges because we don't we don't know. But I think at the root of all of that is really truly relationships. I think that's what the next generation wants is relationships. I think it all comes down to that. And so um, how can we do things that will generate a tie and a relationship and build that relationship with those that are interested in what we're doing? So. Now, I've heard you talk about since your time started at Healing Hands uh, at the end of 2016, you've seen God work in some extraordinary ways, both here in Nashville, but also with our partners on the ground. Is there a story in particular mm-hmm. that stands out to you that would kind of define your time Um or, or kind of, you know, be within the time frame of when you started the last five years? Sure. There's, there are several, uh, honestly, that come to mind. Um, but the one that most recently that has really, I think, back on a whole lot was an experience I had in Kenya um, with Janet Gilly, um, who is our Women of Hope coordinator now. She's taught agriculture there for years. She had a personal ministry of working with the women's prison in western Kenya, and um, as part of this trip, um, she invited us, me. I was on the trip by myself with Ebenezer Udofia in from Nairobi, and we were going into this, we went in to visit the women's prison where we had taught agriculture. But Janet was making it her personal ministry outside of work to, to share the gospel and be a part of that, that women's prison. And we, I had the opportunity to be there the day that they were taking a portable baptistry in, and we, we watched Charles Winyo from the Little Winyo Church of Christ there in Kenya baptize 13 of those women. And to see the joy on their faces and to hear them sing as Janet led them in worship, I get chills every time I think about that. It just reminded me, this is what we're about. Mm. You know, this is what we're equipping them to do is to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus into a place where these women, and some of them had committed very minor crimes, but the really cool thing was is that some of them were leaving like in the next few weeks to go into another village nearby and that Janet was concerned about making sure they had people there that could be a part of a village to help encourage them. And that story, well, that picture in my mind will always be and those women carried the water in buckets on their head from the well that was nearby to fill up that little portable baptistry to be baptized. And um, just to see the passion of Janet and then to see the response of those women and what they went through to be able to do that was just, uh, it's an experience I won't forget. Janet's a rock star. She is a great, great woman. Great, I great woman her. of God. Yeah. yeah. So so the name of our, our podcast is It Takes a Village. Talk about what that means for Healing Hands. What do you think that kind of encompasses? And also, what does that mean for you personally? Who is your village? Yeah, well, I think a village is so important to us because I think, uh, referred to this earlier, is I think we all 
need a village in our life, whether that's a church community, it's friends that are part of our lives. Um, the more, the older I get, the more important I realize the village and the people we expose our children to, our grandchildren to, and the people that we expose ourselves to have so much to do with who we become as a person, how God can use those relationships to speak into you and to support you and to encourage you in times when we all need it. And so with our work, so much of our work is done in villages, and we're just equipping villages to be able to be more healthy, to be empowered, to be able to be sustainable. And and from a real practical level, we're really looking at now, how can Healing Hands lean into that village more, even more? So instead of just doing a water well where they need water or teaching ag where they need ag, how can we do those things or women's projects or magi? How can we do those in one spot and do a little more concentrated effort of coordinating those together to make a bigger impact in one spot that will take root and then be able to provide them an opportunity to go and to be that village to others. And we've seen a great example of that in a couple of places already. And so our my vision for that is to be able to grow that even more, to lean more into coordinating those so that they can become even more vibrant villages and to be able to be the local church, the light on the hill in western Kenya, for example, in Oyaro, where they can be seen by others around them. They want to be a part of that. They want to find out what that's what's that about? Who's making this happen? And it's the local church there. That's awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being our first guest on our first episode. (laughs) Exciting. That was it. Thank you guys for thanks you guys for having me. No, Art, thank you so much. This has been great. This gives a great history and a foundation of healing hands. You've really done a great job of casting the vision of who we are, what we do. And uh, for those of you that listen, when we release the podcast, um, hopefully that gives you a glimpse. And then, you know, down the road when we release more and people think, hey, I want to go back and listen to the first one. They will be able to come back to hear like what that foundation is through what you've said today. So thanks a lot. Yeah, Thank you. Wow, Terry, that was it. That was it. Episode one, guess one. Art Woods. Yes, Art Woods. He's so fascinating. So what will your takeaways be from our conversation with Art? What did you learn about him, about our organization? I really liked hearing about his kind of how he grew up, like his work ethic, how his whole family was so like leadership oriented. And that's kind of how he became the way that he is now. He has a lot of empathy and passion for healing hands, which is what you want in a boss and what you want in a leader. And I think that's really important. And I think his background has really shaped him into who he is. And yeah, I, I really liked hearing from him. Yeah, what about you? Great. I loved hearing his passion. Yeah. Um, just about serving in nonprofit, serving in education. I mm-hmm. loved hearing how he has just been led by the spirit over the years Yeah. as he and his wife have discerned next steps when they uh, went to Harding University to work, and then when he came to Nashville to work, and then when he even came to Healing Hands, like he's just had those moments in his life and in his journey where um, it's just been obvious that God was preparing him for that next step. I feel like we kind of have the same sort of background where he, well, he went to Harding, go Bisons, um, and he moved here out of kind of a whim where he was like, I don't know what I'm doing, which is kind of what I did too. I moved here. He actually called me 
the day before I graduated Harding. No way. Yeah, he called me. I don't know if he remembers this at all, but I was packing all my stuff up and I had boxes everywhere and I was freaking out because we had to pack a bunch still. But he, I got a call from an unknown number and I was like, who in the world is this? But I answered, which isn't something I would do normally. But he was like, is this Taryn Foster? And I was like, yes, it is. And he was like, how would you like a job at Healing Hands International? And I was like, what? That's awesome. all frazzled and yeah, but I don't know where I was going with that. That's awesome. Well, you both had the Harding University, Harding Bison connection going on there. Did you know he was an alumni at the time? No. And he knew my dad. He was in a club with my dad in Chi Sigma Alpha. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. So as we wrap up, we just, this first episode, uh, we just want to encourage you that wherever you may be, we just want to invite you to be part of our community here on It Takes a Village as we release uh, future episodes. Hopefully along the way, you're going to hear stories, you'll be inspired, learn a little something that can be just a a little bit of an encouragement or a nugget of truth in your day. Yeah. So subscribe, rate, and review. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Share it on social media and tell a friend. Thanks a bunch, friends, for joining us today, and we will see you next time on It Takes a Village. Na, 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 na.